Welcome again to OFM, where metabolic health matters. And we're talking about real-world metabolic health. We're not talking about studies and all this sort of thing. We're, we're taking the science and making it work in the real world. And today, my guest is a fairly new convert to OFM. He's been doing it for, I think, a, a couple of years, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, yep. year and a half. Charles, year and a half. So Charles McConnell, welcoming Charles McConnell, who's chronologically 64 years old, going soon to be 65. And I want to. I've got a nickname for 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 Tim. He goes by Tim. He doesn't go by Charles, but he call it goes by Tim, which is middle name. Anyway, the nickname I have for Tim is Mister No Excuses, because um as you know the the point i want to make with by calling him mr no excuses is because if tim can do what he's done and we're going to be talking about that today and sharing his journey anybody can do it because this is a guy who was in a deep hole partly it was his own thing and he accepts that responsibility but partly was he was just following the standard advice out there for health and wellness and what the doctors say and all that stuff and found himself in a deep hole which you're going to learn about here in our conversation and he managed to dig himself off unlimited resources he empowered himself at one point he was utterly dependent on the health system in a hospital in a bed confined to a bed and it was at that point that he made the decision to empower himself with his health and through that journey of empowerment he's he's where he is now we're going to just dive in i'll let him say it because he can say it way way better than i can so tim welcome to the ofm podcast it's, it's really an honor um to have you on oh, and one more thing i want to point out is not only did tim empower himself to take control of his health and go from a deep hole to thriving but he did this resourcefully. Like he he got he took control of learning, thinking, and experimenting and doing. And he did this all on a budget. And you know, Tim is retired. He lives off his social security, so he's on a budget. So he's even buying Vespa and supplements from me. We give him a great discount because he's one of our ambassadors. Um, but he's making it work on a very limited budget. So that's another point to make that supports my thing about him is like Mr. No Excuses. People say, oh, Vespa's too expensive. The supplements are too expensive. Keto diet's too expensive. You know, everybody says that, you know, they, they say, I can't afford that, but they're driving a new car. They're going to Starbucks for a, for a foo-foo coffee. And so I wanted to, I, I don't want to go too far, but, but everybody's got excuses, right? And, and, and like they say in the Marine Corps, um excuses are like buttholes everybody's got one and they all stink and so i, w- I want to welcome tim not he's 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 the guy that doesn't stink he's he's made it happen and so you know we're talking about buttholes and digging ourselves out of holes but um here i go with my my sophomoric male potty humor so we're going <laughs> to leave that behind and go into Tim's Mr. No Excuses journey. Tim, welcome, and it's an honor. It's a privilege to be here, but uh, apparently you haven't been around me yet after a long ride as far as stink goes. Oh, I can fix that too. We're, we're going <laughs> to fix that. We're going to fix that too, because guess what? Moi used to smell like I peed on myself after a long run in the heat. I don't do that anymore. I'll, I'll show you a real cheap solution and... You just got to use the the Castile soap. You get you switch over uh-huh. to the Castile soap, and after you've inoculated yourself. But we're we're getting off topic again. This is this is Peter's world. Go off in all the rabbit holes. So we're not going to do that. We're gonna we're gonna focus on you. This is about you. So Tim, once again, welcome. Um, you're 64 years young and getting younger, according to your doctor. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let's let's start with. Kind of give us a brief thing um, about you, and then I want to start really where 
the the that that cascade event of that downward cascade that got you into that deep hole where you're sitting in that hospital bed with the abscess right mm -hmm. but but it started it's you know you were you were on that typical road um sad american diet working 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 jobs and you were driving a truck you were doing reefer loads right cross-country yeah, reefer driver all right yeah, Re yeah i pulled a, a reefer also pulled flatbed and stuff depending on the company but i liked pulling reefer that was my favorite yeah. and you can but, make some uh, money at that yeah the only bad part about it is driving east of pittsburgh into the new york and jersey area that was never my favorite but yeah it uh it provided a good income uh i worked i did it on and off for about 10 years um but i was always working some job i mean if i didn't have a load i had a business at home that i could make money off of uh, well you you even stoked coking furnaces in a steel mill right yeah after a year after high school i got into wheeling pit steel up here in the ohio valley and spent 10 years there most of it in the coke plant as well as a few other places in we're the not mill. talking about coca-cola folks we're talking about the coke that goes into making steel which is which is made from real high 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 grade coal yeah well you're not the first person to, to make that mistake we were part my wife and i were part of a church planning group in the virginia beach and i got up and gave my testimony and said i worked in a coke plant and there was actually people seriously thinking that that might have been what i was talking about making coke but some of them even thought it was a drink but no it's neither one yep but, it's but it is necessary to make steel that's that's right so let's talk about that faithful day that things you know you so you were doing reefer loads how much did you weigh when you were driving a truck before the accident well i got up at that point probably i know i was 300 pounds plus because uh, my driver's license uh, a year before i started driving trucks showed 290. and yeah so driving, truck, started, driving truck will do that you'll put on some extra weight yeah yeah so what let's start with that day that things really kind of what were you doing you had a hot load of lettuce let's start with that hot load of lettuce yep i had my, my reefer went out and my lettuce kept getting hotter and hotter and i was in, coming into indianapolis well i knew where the uh thermo king the dealer yeah. yep i knew where they were at and i went to get off the, e the exit ramp and i and down the road they had the daggone road closed so i couldn't get and i could see the place just down over the hill from me and I got stopped there. They were getting set up to lift the traffic out of the Indianapolis 500. So that gives you a time date because it had, was just getting ready to let them out. And so it was spring. So it, was, it was spring and it was warm. So your trailer was getting hot. Yep. But the, so I seen the cop down at the bottom of the ramp, and I didn't want to drive down there. So I pulled the truck over, and I was already mad for having to stop. Threw that door open, and I went to step out. And I missed my first step on the truck and went straight down and landed straight leg on my right leg. And yeah, I had a hard time walking, but I, you know, um, bare, just a little gringe and a little cringe and went down to see the cop. And he knew I was mad and he explained what's going on and he showed me how to get down there. And I did get there and got the uh, reefer fixed and the lettuce was okay, at least most of it was. And, uh, but at that time, I didn't know the damage that I had done to my hip. It wasn't until months, months later when I was walking and stuff started getting really bad pain in there. And, and it, was, it, it took a while before it, I finally went to, to see a doctor and had an MRI done. And they said, man, you've got bone against bone in your hip socket. And, and at that point, I was trying to lose weight, trying to do a little running which i am not a runner i'm more of a lumberer and uh, i'm going down you know down the road and every step i'd take on that right leg just you know that pain and every once in a while my leg would go out and i'd fall i mean just like i'd step and like my leg wasn't there it would just collapsed on me and found out that that was all you know pinched nerves and everything else caused from it so i became even more restrictive on what i could do with that and of course, and your weight time, went up. Yep, weight went up. And then by 2014, 
I ended up having a hip replacement surgery. And you know that I, after the surgery and after the recovery and got through it, I mean, I felt I felt good. But you have a tendency, if you if your head's not in the right place and you're not educated right, you'll use those things to keep you to keep yourself down. Well, I can't do that because I've got an artificial hip. And you know, I don't want to, no, I can't go hiking. Could you imagine if I get out there in the woods and something would happen and I couldn't get back because of that artificial hip? Yeah, and of course the doctors that, also want you to be cautious because it's, yeah. it's a standard of care. Well, know? I was over 300 pounds when they did the hip surgery, probably 310, 314. And because one doctor wouldn't do it. He says, I won't touch it until you get down below 280. And I said, yeah, I lose weight when I'm restricted on my movements. I said, that's even going to be harder to do. But I found a doctor. Matter of fact, the doctor ended up being the brother that of the the people who owned the bike shop. I bought my first bike. So it was quite a, a connection there. But anyhow, he did the surgery on it. And I come into recovery and I started taking it easy. I thought I wanted to start running again, especially after I seen some things on OFM and Jeff Browning. I mean, the things that he had done. It's like, man, I got to go to see my doctor on a regular checkup. And he says, no, don't run. He goes, you got, a, you got a good hip and it'll outlast you all the cycling you want to do, but don't start running on it. I mean, I go out hiking all the time and a little trail jogging between, you know, in some nice areas, but I don't go out there and beat it like some of the athletes that are part of Vespa do. But I put it, give it a workout on the bike. Yeah, so you, so getting that hip and then kind of you started to gain weight and then you said something, you wound up in the hospital with an abscess. I mean, you were doing yeah, the standard American diet. You didn't know any better, yep. trying to be like heart healthy. So you were, were avoiding the fat, saturated fats, fatty foods and, and carbohydrates, right? Yep. Well, it wasn't just one. It was two times that I ended up in the hospital with abscesses. And I've got the scars on the back that to show them. I've got a picture of uh, the wound on the one that they did is huge up here on my back shoulder. They, they cut it all out and they left it open like a giant X pattern there or something. And they, they left it healed that way. They didn't stitch it back up and they put a wound back on it. And I had to wear that wound back for, oh God, I can't remember how long it was. But I've got a picture of my back wound like that. And my granddaughter, my, my oldest, she was just a little girl then. And uh, she was dressed up like um, one of the doctor, cartoon character doctors, Doc McStuffins. She was all dressed up and went to the doctor's office with me. The doctor says that she might not want to see this. It might make her sick. No, she sat there. And they let her take gauze and help clean it out. And she even helped put the dressing on it. And you're know, just a little six-year-old girl doing that and that was back in 2016 2017 then what happens less than a year later i get another one on my back and and have to go in for the same type of deal and they just said you know you've got inflammation and stuff in your skin you know in your body and this is how it's coming out and again you know you're going to have to watch what you eat you're going to have to you know cut back on your fats and your cholesterols and <laughs> and, and all this stuff and she says because that's you know you got to get rid of the inflammation little did i know what was really uh causing that inflammation and at that time uh, I ate yeah you said you yeah. kept krispy kreme in business yeah i kept krispy kreme in, but not only krispy kreme i mean heck it was nothing uh, i'd get on an ice cream kick and i'd do a pint of ice cream every night you know, go out and I, I did a, I had my own business and got out, did a, a lot of work. Um, some of that time we were with the Salvation Army, we had a, a part of a church planning team up near Youngstown. And I was always going, but then they were always feeding you there too. Had meetings all the time and you'd have lunch meetings. And, and well, you know how those kind of meetings go. You get into a, a church crowd and everybody eats good. But the, my problem was it was eating good and eating right were 
completely two different things. Yeah. And I found out that, you know, once you start getting things in line, I don't have that hunger anymore where I can sit down and eat a whole pint of ice cream at one time. So, or, so let's go, let's just back up a little. So you had that second abscess and you got, you wound up in the hospital, right? Yep. Yeah. Both times I was in the hospital admitted. Okay. And, but this uh, was a, this was like the low point the uh, second time in the hospital. Tell us yeah. about that. Uh, you know, uh, the, the second time was the absolute worst. I ended up checking myself out of the hospital. Um, my blood pressure was sky high and they had put me on well, an tell, antibiotic. Tell you, you were, you were, you had a pump to, to pump out the fluid in the abscess, right? Yep. Yep. You were bedridden. You were in the hospital for how many days? Uh, it was, I'd been in there for seven days and they were supposed to release me. And one of the doctors said, oh, we're going to need you uh, in here a little bit longer because we haven't got your labs back yet. And we don't want to release you till then. And as it turned out, they put me on an antibiotic, which is the absolute strongest antibiotic they had at the time. I mean, I guess it's was still it, one. Was it, was it IV antibiotics since you were in the hospital? Uh, yeah, it was, it was in an IV. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, banco, it's probably, that was probably vancomycin. Yeah, vancomycin. Yep. Vancomycin. Yep. Well, I'm just complete. I've, vancomycin is one of those things that it never leaves your body. It gets embedded in your fat cells and you have a certain, uh, matter of fact, if they give you a certain level of it, when you come back in, it's kind of starting off at that same level. It hit me with that vancomycin a second time, and all of a sudden, my, my body began reacting negatively to it. I felt terrible. It, I mean, it was just, I couldn't tell you how bad it felt. A girl come in, took my blood pressure, and couldn't get my blood pressure because it had all the IVs. They blown veins out. And she pumped the thing up so high that it actually blew open the holes in my arm, and blood started coming out of it. Oh, God. And it freaked her out, freaked me out. I said, I've never seen, I mean, my, my skin had actually was almost black for a few days around it because she had just wouldn't really let that blood pressure cuff go. So you, you, had to, you had this abscess, obviously because it was draining, you were having trouble maintaining good blood volume as shown yep. by the blood pressure. You said your blood pressure, bl getting your blood pressure, your blood pressure was sky high, your pulse was sky yep. high. This is this was the low point. What was your blood pressure and pulse when you, at that point? I know my blood pressure when I was in the hospital was was over uh, was over two fifty, you know, over two fifty over ninety and higher. I just remember some of the numbers from that. It had just gone because they had put me on uh, blood pressure meds trying to bring it you know down, and. Uh, I don't know. It's I I do have what they call a white coat syndrome. I can I can leave my house be 113 over 60, go to my doctor's office, and it'll go to 100 140 over 70. And well, and they the way, when they found this out, I was in a hospital a year ago this September. I had an accident and ended up in the hospital. They thought I um, ruptured my adrenal gland, and they put me on a blood pressure monitor. When the doctor was in there, my blood pressure was 140 over 75 over or 80, and they would leave, and my blood pressure would drop down to 113, 115 over 50 over 60, and it'd be perfect. The second they walked in, it would go up, and the doctor said, "Yep, you've got white coat syndrome." Okay, but, uh, so, yeah, so you, anyhow, checked yourself, you checked yourself out of the hospital because at, at a certain point then. Because I knew I had, while I was there, you know, I like to read and do research and stuff. I started researching vancomycin and found out that, yeah, I had had my complete tolerance of it and my body just couldn't take any more of it. And I said, no, this has got to end. Well, I got up, took the IVs and stuff out and I told them I'm leaving. It's against doctor's advice. You shan't, can't leave. I said, I'm leaving. I left that hospital, but I was smart about it. I got out of that hospital and went down to another hospital, went into the ER and told them what was going on. So they had, uh, they admitted me for that night. They did let's run tests to see what's going on. They didn't put me on vancomycin. They didn't put me on anything other than just fluids. And uh, they come back in the next morning and said, we ran cultures. 
goes, you just got a regular staph infection or whatever they had called at that time. And says, there's nothing serious that would require anything more, to, more than a penicillin uh, antibiotic. Says, we're going to release you home with an antibiotic to, to take. And, and that ended up happening. Well, all this learning about the, the problems and being caused by just the obesity. Yeah, that's, that's the difference because I, I will say vancomycin is like the nuclear option of, of antibiotics. IV, yep. I, I've, I've actually been on it. So we, we have that little, you know, we're part of that yep. little crowd of, of, of users. I had, an M, I had an MRSA staph infection that wouldn't go away and, and the oral antibiotics weren't touching it. And I had to admit myself in the hospital and go on a 48-hour course and that knocked it down. But I wasn't overweight. I was metabolic health, metabolically healthy. I think a month earlier I'd run Western States. And, you know, so getting that, getting that dose of vancomycin in my case, boom, knocked it out. And, and otherwise I probably would have lost my leg and maybe even my life because I, I mean, I went, I was in tremendous pain for about a week before the decision was made to put me in a hospital, you know, because the, the oral antibiotics, like the penicillin, weren't, touch, weren't touching it. So what probably happened was they did instead of doing a culture, they just assumed you had like an MRSNA and went from from you getting admitted to going to the worst case scenario. And and because, you know, you had you had multiple things. And this is one of the things Dr. Kathy and I were talking about just last night. Like you get somebody in the ER in intensive care, it's like treating somebody who was in the place where you were at that point just exponentially complicates things. And it's, and then all of a sudden the interventions don't work as well. And then you got to compensate sometimes like your issue with the blood pressure meds and the, and the, and the blood volume you're compensating because once you do one med to take care of one problem, then that creates other problems. So the doctors have their hands full. Um, and, and we're actually going to do a podcast about how, not being metabolically healthy complicates, you know, the treatment of an acute situation like you had. Exactly. I mean, we were at two opposite ends of the metabolic. Uh, right. And just, you know, I'm, I'm what happens when it's at the, was at the bad end. And, and who knows, like you had said, had you not been metabolically fit, who knows what the outcome would have been for that. Right, right, but I, but I bounced. It was like, yeah, I had to spend two days in the hospital getting an IV. But it, as soon as I got that option, which is the stuff that kills MRSA staph infections, it was like boom. It was like a, a light switch got turned on within hours. You know, um, you know. But anyway, and, and that's the thing. I think the point I want to make here that's important for the audience to realize is like. Some of these acute interventions that modern medicine have, they're life-saving. They will, they will get you out of a hole real quickly, but you need to be doing that base work to get metabolically healthy to really take advantage of those when something like that occurs rather than get in the situation you were in at that low point, right, Tim, where uh -huh. your metabolic health was actually causing acute things that you had to ha that had to be intervened like having an abscess that was caused by where you were you know your body was was in basically survival shock mode and it was creating these issues that required acute interventions but because you were so had multiple metabolic health challenges it made the treatment of that really tough yep well my body though was throwing up signals long before those abscesses, and I had no clue that that's what it was doing. Neither did the doctors. Every winter, I'd get these, um, my, my skin would get this eczema all over it, up and down my legs, on the back of my arms, just dry, scaly stuff, and they'd give me a prescription. But whatever they get, none of it ever cleared it up until spring come along and I'd get back outside. So I just thought it was one of those winter things. But once I, as a matter of fact, now I haven't had, this is my third year in a winter, 
that I don't even have anything come up on my skin. There you go. I mean, so let's let's fast forward. Like, so you, so you checked out of the hotel, the hospital, not the hotels, the hospitals, and but you you at that point you've made a decision to take control of your health. Yeah. And, and so, uh, so what did you do? Well, it uh, I I did some diets at first. I mean, I I went on Atkins and Nutrisystems and different things like that, and uh, you know that was probably uh, seventeen. And just look. I, I played with it for a couple of years, you know, watching, uh, trying to watch what I ate and doing the the whole, uh, you know, I can't eat that. That's too much fat. Uh, you know, trimming off all the fat off my meat that I ate, made sure there was nothing there. So reading every book that I could on nutrition, looking at that pyramid and trying to find. So you were starting off like super green from ground zero. Oh yeah. I didn't know anything really you know about it i mean i had some stuff when my wife and i had studied when we were younger um called nutripathy just you know studying nutrition and natural uh therapies but i don't know I, you get you get lost in it all well and, and here's the point to kind of move jump forward here's the point i make is like like when i started out this it's like everybody points to a diet or diet and exercise right mm -hmm. and it, it's like no, it's not about the diet. It's about your meta metabolism and physiology, your your core metabolism and physiology. And and diet is a tool. Exercise is a tool. Supplements are a tool. Vespa is a tool. Um, yep. Managing stress is a tool. Uh, you know, these are tools around the individual. Like you have to figure out how you use these tools and the variables within them. So, but everybody looks at a diet as like that's the thing because it's easy to sell, yeah. you know. But um, the thing so, that I so you fiddle around with diets, and at some point you came across keto, Atkins, etc. Atkins, right? I, I came across Atkins while I was driving truck, and I had, you know, got a hold of. Uh, I mean, that was prior to all my stuff on my back and stuff. So I knew Atkins, but then again. Atkins, I just couldn't go into a, a restaurant and eat a, a breakfast of, uh, of of that much bacon and stuff, as some people would say. But it helped when I was driving truck, but it didn't last. I just there was nothing there to grab a hold of, and then I went and tumbled down to where I had those abscesses. But I found keto, you know, uh, two and a half years ago, just prior. I mean, just six months prior before learning about Vespa. And I decided, you know, I, ha I made the decision, and this was the hard part, is I'm going to do it. You know, I don't, I'm going to sell out completely of my former diet, you know, whatever I had ate, and, and go wholeheartedly. And we'll see if this works. I was told it wasn't going to work. You made a commitment to yourself. Yep, made that commitment. And it was hard. My, my wife is thin. She's got a sweet tooth. And... I'd be on that and she'd bring home a box of donuts from this that she'd get from from the Salvation Army or something. And I mean, that's where she worked and get donated all the time. This is what she'd bring home. I finally got her to the place where I said, if you want a donut, keep it in the car <laughs> and eat it for breakfast in the morning or hide it. I said, because, you know, temptation, it's a strong thing. So oh, yeah. finally we got on the same page and she started pretty much eating the same way I do. But I understand that you know, if I don't make her eat what I eat, but I got to the place after being on it for three or four months that it didn't bother me. I mean, she could sit there and have you know something sweet or a piece of sweet cake, and it just it didn't bother me anymore. But once I had decided to make that switch into keto, I found it wasn't like the first time when I did Atkins. I mean, it actually started working, but then it wasn't giving me what I would hope. I thought, well, I'm losing weight, but I'm still not being as efficient and using my body and athletics as I thought it you'd I already be. started. You'd already started exercising, right? Yep, I already you started had, exercising. You had the exercise. You, you started. You had the exercise down during all this dietary. Your little dietary. Yeah journey to different diets, right? I started walking when I, the year prior to the keto, you know, just exercising and started riding the bike 
was all prior to keto. And, but what that, that first winter, when I gained 30 pounds, 35 pounds back over winter, was the slap in the face. It says, how can I do this? I'm riding my bike every day, Chris. I wasn't riding it as much in the winter or getting those big sweaty workouts in and, you know, but. Well, and the other thing, the other thing is, you know, a, a very key OFM protocol is get, make, making sure your vitamin D is optimized in the winter. Yep. I did I wasn't really doing anything with, I took some over counter vitamins and, yeah, you know, in, in, uh, yeah, no, it's sometimes they come out whole. They don't even yeah. dissolve. But, well, it's like, yeah. it's like I tell people when you take a multivitamin and you see that neon yellow urine, you're peeing into the toilet. Yeah. That's your money. That's your money. Yep. Yep. So that's okay. I, so you were exercising, you, you got on keto and then what was happening with the exercise? You said you weren't feeling as efficient. Hold on one second there. I had my leg tucked up underneath me on the chair and I've got a nerve in the back of my leg that if I sit up on the edge of a chair, it triggers yep. it and I get a, a muscle spasm. And what's really okay. There, is, there's, there's him modeling the ASOS uh, yeah. kit. So yeah, I, while he's stretching his leg out there. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I like the jersey. I, you know, it, it was a little more expensive than what I ever spent on a jersey, but this is absolutely the most comfortable jersey that I own. Yep. Okay. Well, we're, I'm glad for that. I mean, yeah, I'm glad you love your ASOS jersey. So get your, get your, let's get your camera back up on you. There you go. Um, okay. So you're, you, you got keto working for you. And then what did you notice? Well, I started uh, dropping weight. I'm sometimes two pounds a day and the weight just pouring off. And I thought, oh man, keto is, you know, this is wh where it's at. And it, and it is, I mean, it's good. But I was thinking it was all of everything, watching all those macros and everything else, no carbs. Yep, there it comes back again. I got, I sat down too quick. I, mm -hmm. hate to have that happen during this. All right, this is authentic, guys. Woo. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I can cause that just myself. I had to show the doctor, told the doctor about it one day, and he goes, well, what's causing it? And I said, well, every time I hit right here, and I hit right there, and bang, it, it, the, the spasm hit. So there's a nerve or something back there. And frankly, I think it's the doing with losing so much weight that my legs are still reconstructing the protective well, tissues. We, let's, let's look at that down the road. So anyway... Um, so what did you notice in terms of your exercise with keto? You said you didn't feel as efficient. Well, yeah. Uh, I couldn't build up the long stuff that I wanted to do. I was getting out there and I'm still doing, you know, keeping my ride short. Some people say they're long rides still, but once I hit 40 miles, gosh, it's like my energy started dissipating. And by the time I get home, I'd, I'd have to go sit in my chair and just sit there for the evening. I mean, I was done. And, and what was it like, you know, in terms of the performance? I mean, your, your miles per hour, how it felt no. climbing hills. No, I, climbing hills, I was, that was, all came a little while after that, but I'll know when I first started uh, climbing hills, that was just prior to ESPA introduction and it would take me all the half a mile hill or, or not a half a mile. It was almost a mile, but 565 feet. I think it is up to the top and it's 8% grade. And I've got one of those little granny gears on there where I could go up that hill without hardly any effort. And I would still be stopping uh, a dozen times. I think on that first ride going up that hill it took me an, over an hour and a half to get up a hill that was less than a mile. And now I go up that hill in about 12 minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, notice. It's still a steep hill. So the, the, the take home is you got yourself into, into the keto diet. The keto diet was working for the weight loss, but you noticed a big drop in your performance and physical strength. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that I did not have the endurance energy. 
you didn't and you probably didn't have the explosive energy or the ability to push like you say on the hill no uh, no my sprints you know i could do a sprint and 30 seconds into that sprint <laughs> i'm done yeah <laughs> and i said that let me see uh, a month ago i did a six mile sprint and increased a pr by like three mile an hour that i had on a, on a segment it wasn't no hills or nothing on it but it was flat six miles long and i kept my heart rate above 140 the whole time and i love it i love it, it. i love it because that's that's one of the things about vespa that i tell people when you're doing a hard effort the way i describe how you know the vespa is working is when the difficulty of the workout pushes against you you feel like you can push back rather than just hang on you know you can sustain that high heart rate so uh, all right tim so you found keto and then you but then as you got keto working for you you also found the, the performance limitations of it and then that set you on the next step of your journey which was you said you said earlier that you knew something you need to look for something so what, what did you do well i knew that i needed more energy and then somebody had turned me on to gels and i had been on, i had tried them before but really didn't think anything of them like i had said in the earlier it was a uh, taste like i'm swallowing vaseline or something but i decided well i'm gonna i know they're not keto and all this and that but i'm probably burning enough carbs that i can handle a couple gels for energy and before i knew it you know i would take four or five of them on a ride and i mean i didn't i didn't get a lot of negative from it but i i would get a sour stomach you know what I mean? It's I get indigestion, and it was almost uh, like you eat something you really didn't agree with, it and you could just taste it for hours. I could taste those gels forever, like they were just sitting there sometimes. Okay. Okay. And, and then I, so, so what happened next? Well, I just out doing surfing and stuff, and I'm not sure where I've seen the first ad for Vespa. I thought it might have been like another gel. You know, or something, and I got in it and, and checked it out. And I thought, you know, this is pretty interesting. Um, and then one thing led to another, and I ended up getting a $20 four pack, a sample to try. And uh, I couldn't really, uh, let me see, that was coming up. I bought it in April for the Memorial Day ride on, let's see, we had this one this year. It would have been probably 2021. Yeah, uh, or 20, yeah, 21. Yeah, yeah 2021, uh, yeah. Well, it, it was 21 or 22, because this year was 23, and this is my second ride on it, so it had to be the 22 one. Okay. Uh, but I had tried it prior to that, and it and went off, didn't buy any again, because, again, you know, it was just getting the money and everything else. It didn't work. But I, that's when I tried. I bought a second four-pack. I called on there and went to the site and it gave you the option to buy a four pack. Actually, I bought those four packs like six or seven times, but I bought it specifically for that 62 mile ride. I knew it was going to be up in the 80s, low 90s that day. And I said, I'm going to get this for this. And this is really the big switch because I, I bought those and I took them on that ride. And I didn't take nothing else to eat that day. I mean, they had snacks and stuff along. I took that Vespa when I left the house, the first one. I got down at the start of the, the, the ride, and I took another one at the start and took off on that ride. And uh, I, I took uh, the other two that I had during the ride. And I, we got down to the end and 62 miles. And I'm like, anybody want to go some more? I'm here, I'm ready to go. And I'm, and I'm still in the 200 pounds range at that time. I hadn't dropped below my. 200 pounds yet i don't remember what i was but no nope, everybody was done i i rode home but uh that was the first time i and after that i've been i've been using it and yeah no pro, but prior to that more. we use it but this is one of the things we tell people is like with vespa what you notice is what you don't notice right you don't have the ups and downs in energy oh. the loss of focus the soreness but like when you used it before, 
you didn't get like this big surge or rush, but you didn't get the crash either, but you noticed you weren't eating, right? And you had more energy. Like, tell, tell us about the first time you used Vespa and you came home. Well, the first time I, I, was, I was waiting for something to happen. Like, you know, you feel that, <laughs> yeah. that, that buzz, that adrenaline. Um, the first time I took an ultra, I noticed just a little feel to it because I wasn't used to the, uh, the way it was structured. And I mean, it didn't give me a buzz or nothing. I could just, I could feel it kick in. After that, it, it didn't happen again. But uh, what happens on it is you go out and you start riding, waiting for it to kick in. But your mind goes to what you're doing. And the next thing you notice, you're finishing up at the end of the day. And you said, wait a minute. How did I do that? I mean, I, I took my Vespa and stuff. I, but I went up and down these hills, you know, did the 3,000, 4,000 feet in climbing. This past May was the first time I did over 6,000 feet in climbing. And I did that 6,000 feet this year. And no soreness whatsoever. I mean, I haven't had to... Everybody tells me, oh, you did a big ride, you need to take a day off, or you, you know, the, you, I tested positive for COVID, you need to quit riding and, you know, take a week off from it. Now, I, I worked all through that, took my Vespas, went out and did my workouts, didn't quite do 100% of what I did, but I'd go out on those days. And to me, going out and doing a medium effort was a recovery ride. Yeah, but let's, just jumping back, you said something yeah. earlier when we were talking that you used to, when you first started using Vespa, you'd, you'd take the Vespa and you'd take a lunch, a keto lunch with you, oh, yeah, right? And, and you'd, you'd forget to, you'd forget to eat the lunch and then you'd come home and mow the lawn and yep. do stuff. And then it was three or four yep. hours later, you'd have supper. Whereas before you said you, you would get in your recliner and collapse for a while. Well, when I was on a straight keto, I would take a, a keto approved lunch with me all the time I had a little bag or carry on my back put an ice pack in there and I'd carry my lunch and then I had a favorite spot that I, I would stop at because 20 miles was my limit before I needed to sit down and take a break get out on of the keto, on, whether it was keto on or keto. carbs yep. yeah yeah yep 20 miles was it even still on keto but I mean on keto I was I was losing weight and feeling better and able to move but the energy was still at right, right around 20 miles, you know, 25. I'd have to stop and go ahead and eat. And I, you know, I'd have a sandwich with using keto bread and uh, ham and cheese on it, maybe sliced tomato and, or whatever. And then I'd go back out and finish my ride. Well, the first time that I had taken um, Vespa and was taking more than one on during the ride, I had my stuff in the back in the bag. And went out and started and did my ride. And I come out to my the place that I normally go, and I didn't really feel like stopping. I, I mean, I wasn't tired. And I went out and did some more hills and stuff. Ended up being like a 62-mile day. And it comes towards the, towards the end of the ride when I'm ready to turn and go home. I stopped at a, to, to go to the bathroom, and I don't know what made me open my bag to check something. And I re, my sandwich was still there, and I realized, hey, you know, I didn't stop and eat that day. And I thought about it, and I said, no, nah, I'm not hungry. So I rode on home. And, and then you mowed the lawn, and then didn't you mow yep. the lawn afterwards? Yeah. Yep. I got I got home. Uh, my wife would, you know, she'd get supper ready. I cook a lot. She cooks a lot, just depending on what we're doing. But uh, I got home and uh, wanted to know if I was ready to eat. And I said, nope. I said, I need to get the grass done before I forget about it. And uh, I don't have a lot. I mean, it doesn't take me 15, 20 minutes to do it. But I wanted to sit in a chair, but the only thing I did was change out of my kit and put my jeans on and went outside and, uh, and, and cut the grass and came back in. They sat down in the chair and uh, uh, probably watched Adam 12. <laughs> and then they said, okay, you know, and here it's a couple hours later and or whatever. And uh, we ate and it's, I know it was getting close to like seven o'clock, which I don't like to eat after seven anyhow. And, uh, we had had supper, and frankly, I didn't even finish everything. And that happens all the time now. I mean, it's that's not just an occasional thing. She knows when I come home from a ride, it's going to be at least an hour before I'm ready to have supper. If even you know. So so you started using the Vespa and getting these great results, and then then what happened? 
started to look at our vlogs and stuff, right? Oh. That's the, that was a nice thing about it because the, the, the assortment of vlogs on there covered a lot of questions that I had and I just had to search through them and find them. Matter of fact, you know, even coming up into the holidays and well, how can I still maintain what I want to do without dying from eating, overeating on the holidays? Well, you had a blog about, you know, OFM and, and the holidays. Talk, listening to the different... Um, uh, testimonies on some of the, uh, the heroes that I had watched on there. Um, then listening um, to the story of Jeff Browning and in his past one when he did the Moab 240 last year, uh, that was like, you know, I said, this is what's going to happen to people who can get into the, the protocols and not just do them out of regiment, but do them because this is, it's part of them. Right, because Jeff, Jeff was like you. He, he had gotten into a pretty deep hole from race, competitive racing and, and pushing those gels and winding up with Candida um, that he was, he was actually considering giving up competitive ultra running in 2015. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of friends around here that are, that, are, that are runners, and you know I've told them about the OFM and Best Buy. I said, go check out you know jeff browning and i said you want to see an ultra runner one of these endurance guys there's somebody that uh you ought to check out the guy was bragging about you know in you know around here doing uh marathons and stuff like that and i said well how about do a 240 mile marathon <laughs> and yeah and at 52 or 51 at that time i said and set a course record i said i'd hate to have been a guy who was 20 some years old losing the uh, a race like that to a 51 year old man it's like but there's somebody you can say i want to be that when i'm 51 years old yeah well now I, people want to be like you when you're there six in their 60s see i would have never thought of being like this at you know at 64 years old 10 years ago i thought i was on the downhill side and was never going to get back up on it i said it's impossible i'm too old now i'll never lose the weight who all too broken yeah yeah exactly but you did it and you empowered I mean, yourself like like you you know because of your limited resources you didn't hire us to coach you just basically watched the vlogs watched the testimonials and figured it out i mean you know like the importance of vitamin d and magnesium the yep. importance of bringing carbs back in strategically the importance of using vespa yeah well you when you talk about the uh the, the vitamin D3 and stuff, I said, well, I don't even know if I'm deficient in it. Well, even though I spent some time outside, I had my blood panels checked in the records of them. Oh, yeah, my D3s were way down. And you know something? Nobody ever said anything about it. Nope. Nope. Yep. Yep. That's something I learned years ago, over a decade ago, was, was and I thought about it, and I, I thought, wow, these... The, the medical reference range is off. It's too low. The low end is too low. And then when you think about the context in the history of vitamin D deficiency and vitamin D related diseases, the, the low end of the, the vitamin D range, as far as the standard of care is, it's enough to keep people asymptomatic of the traditional diseases like pellagra, rickets, preeclampsia, um, and all that it's not enough to get them optimal and, and what we found with working with athletes i started this with an athlete in tennessee where she was just you know desperate to, to be able to do her iron man and had a knee injury and it got her going and then i started with zach bitter and and it, i was already doing it myself but but it's just like we saw that anybody who had their vitamin d below 50 it was suboptimal 40 to 50 is suboptimal. 50 to 70 is about the range you want to do it. If you go higher, you can go higher temporarily, but I don't really like to see people go up to 100, which is the top of the range. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's like above 50 is when the magic happens. And then the interesting thing is a lot of the papers on COVID uh, have come out on vitamin D ranges, and they said pretty much anybody who's, metabolically healthy and their vitamin d is their 25 hydroxy vitamin d is about 50 their their risk for a serious covid infection is 
essentially zero. Yeah. So, uh, but we just saw the performance and health benefits, especially the fat adaptation part, just take off when you got the vitamin D under control. So, yeah, no, so you, you basically absorbed over a year period this whole thing with, with OFM and now you're even learning more because you're training to become a coach. Yep. And I said that foundation I got from listening to all those vlogs though, is really what turned it on. I mean, you have, you told one story, which had said, turned my whole thinking around on the way that I ate. It was the, uh, the people getting mad at the fire trucks on the street for blocking the street and yep. forgetting about the fire structure you know, and, and, and sugar and carbs what caused the what caused the fire and then, yeah and they blame the cholesterol it's like yeah the, the cholesterol is the firemen and the fire trucks in the street because they see yep. the cholesterol it's like that's what's causing the heart disease and that kind of just that right there kind of put the whole thing together and then when i started looking at it like that i said well what good does it do to eat you know a, a healthy meal and if you're shoving down a ton of carbs and sugar with it too because my insulin's going to be going crazy trying to take care of the sugar. Then it's going to be storing even sugar as fat. It's going to be storing fat as fat. And yeah, and then you started to understand what drove your 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 obesity prior. Yeah. 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 Well, so so it's working for you. And and and, and let's talk a little bit about Vespa because, like I say, as part of the no excuses, you know, you're on a limited. You're not raking it you don't have a big retirement you don't have a big paying job yet you know hopefully we're going to change that with some coaching stuff we'll do, do doing but you know you're like a lot of people especially in today's economy where gasoline's gasoline and groceries have gone through the roof so you, even the basic needs are expensive and so you make it happen so you mentioned something earlier about like when you were doing the gels it's like the the cost per pouch is very expensive but then with with vespa you eliminate several products so then the cost is much and, the, and a lot of food so it, the cost is really kind of a push right absolutely but i think in the long term the vespa has become cheaper than all the gels because when you're going when i was going out and especially prior i would use the gels earlier then got rid of them during when I first started keto, but then ended up trying to bring them back, thinking that would help me get up the hills. But uh, I had found out that I only needed that those carbs for those really hard efforts. When with the Vespa and it's helping you burn your fat, I said I had plenty enough energy. I mean, like you, it's, you know, said as you know that aerobic uh, fuel source and most of the time when i'm out there riding i'm not sitting there you know in an anaerobic state doing sprints or hard climbs it's that you know aerobic state i'm sitting out there keeping my heart rate you know down keeping my power levels you know in a nice moderate ride with those spurts of energy that i when i'm ready for one when if i'm riding with a group when i know the group's going to take off i need to be ready for it well, I'm always ready for it now. And it's just that uh, with the gels, I had found myself going through 10, $15 worth of gels in one afternoon too, and then still needing them beyond that. But, and I'm not talking about eating some like 150 uh, grams of carbs an hour, just, you know, using four, three, four pouches of them that, you know, 279 a piece. They add it. They add it up, and then, then you're still. I'm still eating. You know, and yeah, and plus you were tired when you were done with your ride. More so when when I I can take a gel now, and, and I mean there's an absolutely no problem. But I I only had two gels in my pouch at the beginning of the season. I've got one left, and I use yeah. that on a on a big climb. Yeah, um, and, and the other thing is, let's talk also about the the value of of the soreness and the paradigm shift of that soreness and recovery like we're not you know your recovery you're not as sore 
you recover faster. Absolutely. Uh, well, I go out and I do a big heavy ride. Uh, I know it's, you know, it, it puts a toll on your body, period. No, no matter what, there's, you know, it puts a toll on your body. But the next day I'd get out and I'd, I'd go out and do 60 easy miles. And to me, easy miles are like on the bike trail or something uh, where, you know, 1% grade at the most. But I take a couple of days like that and then go do another hard effort. But now I find out I can do hard efforts. Matter of fact, uh, it wasn't that long ago. I did uh, six or seven days in a row um, metric centuries. And all of them with 2,000 to 3,000 feet in climbing each day. And there wasn't any you know, soreness. I didn't feel like I can't get out of bed this morning. I wake up at my standard time every day, same time. Whether I have a watch on or an alarm clock, it doesn't matter. I wake up at that same time every day. And roll out of bed, that's another thing. I mean, I, when I started cycling, before I started following OFM protocols and stuff, and before Vespa, I'd wake out of bed, take those first steps. It'd be like it was when I just had, when I had that leg, that muscle spasm. Getting up out of that chair gingerly, or getting out of the bed gingerly so I don't break something, <laughs> and then getting about my day. Once you get loosened up, you know, okay, I was good to go. I don't have to get out of bed now. And six, at 65 almost, I should have to get out of bed and do a regimen of stretches before I go to the bathroom just to walk down the hall. No, no problem whatsoever. I could, I run up. We get, we live in a in a place that's got a basement, mid floor, and an upstairs. I'm up and downstairs all the time because the bathroom's in the top floor, and I can I run up the steps. And wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I like I almost want to put my stopwatch on, see, get my own PR, and put it on Strava for climbing the stairs. <laughs> You're king of the mountains with the stairs. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, Tim, um, what would you say to people? uh about this whole lifestyle so we're you know it's it's like we're trying to you know as you know we're trying to change that direction of healthcare because or health because it's it's kind of flawed right what's considered healthy yep. is actually pretty sick and and it's not a one it's not a one trick pony or silver bullet type of thing like i said it's not you know, I, I don't sell Vespa as the the one solution. It's it's a tool, and and I you know I don't talk about the dietary patterns. I don't want to talk about a strict diet. You know, with structure and macros and calories. I want to talk about an eating pattern that's dynamic, and you know, it, and it changes depending on the context of one's life. We talk about stress. You know, you know, and we've got to get people to think for themselves and realize that they're multidimensional. And that those solutions are, are multi-dimensional for them. It's not it's not that one thing that they're being sold, told, and controlled on, right? Absolutely. I had, you know, I was under that paradigm of, you know, eat right, clean your plate off, and eat three meals a day, and maybe a couple snacks in there if you're a good boy. But now, after going through everything, it wasn't the fact that somebody told me, you know, you had to stick to this regiment like this or that. Now, I do intermittent fasting almost every day. Without thinking about it. Without thinking about it. Absolutely. That's just yeah. it. I, I am not trying to do it. I eat when I'm hungry. And most generally speaking, if I'm not working out a big workout or something that day, usually it's around noon to one o'clock first. But if I'm out, if I'm doing a workout, I don't get hungry until about six in the evening. And those are the days that I eat one meal. And, but on the other ones, you know, two meals, a, a light one, but everything is under, well, heck, before my calorie intake, if I actually controlled it would, I mean, looked at it, it had been anywhere from 3,500 to 4,000 calories at least. I mean, you go to McDonald's and you pull 1,200. Right. But uh, what is it now? You said something like 17 to 2000. Yeah, 1700 is about average. average Some days job. now, if I'm, if I'm working, if I'm doing a big ride, oh, I've had my days 900 calories. 
No, that's, I was just going to say that because that's what I've seen is on these big days I do runs, I probably don't get to a thousand calories. Yeah. You know, no, that's, and, that's and, quite and, right. And then the next day I'll eat really well, but you know, yeah. I've had a couple days, especially doing a lot of exercise and especially on the days when I was, you know, had taken the Vesper regularly and, and, and had really worked on it. I come home and it's time to go to bed. I'm, my wife had never said anything because she had eaten before I got home. And I'm thinking, I didn't eat supper tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and hadn't even thought about it. Now, that don't happen a lot. I mean, I you still have old habits of, you know, like meat and you know, supper and stuff. I'm just not meat, potatoes, and, and, and fancy and stuff, it, all that. And it really but makes it, about it. It may, really makes it simple and sustainable to maintain a healthy weight, too. And now here's the strange thing. I went to bed and I, you know, didn't get the grumblies and everything like that. I, I fell right to sleep. I mean, I was, you know, still pretty tired. And I get up in the morning and I'm thinking, well, I'm probably going to have to eat breakfast. I never eat. And I still didn't find myself getting hungry until around noon. I had my coffee. And I mean, I, one of my things is I still like my bulletproof coffee. Yeah. And the thing is, is people, people don't realize when you get your metabolism working right, We have such, we're so really so robust that we have the, you know, we have robust stores. So it, it's a wonderful thing, right? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, so let's close this out. And, and what would you say to the audience? Because you're, you're the no excuses guy. I mean, hopefully the people have taken into account your story and just how deep that hole is. Yep. And, and, and you don't want to get to the point where Tim is to realize Tim was to realize, hey, I, I need to take control of my health. Well, if you're looking at any kind of way to, to get your health under management, first do it before it becomes, I've got to do something or I'm going to die. I waited too long and you shouldn't have to wait too long. You, you know, you've got the information out there. Take it, digest it. And start doing something about it and it can be done like uh, peter had said he goes if i can if i can do it you can do it easy because i sat and i thought about it and you know i put it off and, and don't you put it off you're out there if you're overweight if you look at yourself you're not overweight but you know you're not as healthy as you should be and you want to be hook up with peter find out some get some information watch some blogs thank you tim like yep it's yep. You'll, you'll you'll find the answers and they're not going to be the kind that uh, leave you tired and wondering if you did the right thing you'll know you did the right thing very shortly after starting well thanks very much tim and and once again you know tim's the mr no excuses and and it's not going to be talk to peter you're going to you if you're looking for that metabolic switch, you, you might be talking to, to Tim yep. here in the next several months. So um, once again, we're at VespaPower.com for the products and OFM.io for the content, information, consulting, et cetera. And, and we're here to help, you know, make you better. Like Like one thing I want to make clear is like, it's not about the Vespa. It's not about the diet. It's not about the exercise or all those things. It's about you and it's about your core physiology and metabolism and getting that as your foundation. And then once that foundation is there, just continually building that foundation and that robustness so that you not only are burning fat as fuel, but you, you built in the robustness to where you've got that latitude in your dietary patterns to where you're not stressing out about what you're eating. Just like Pam, he's going to have some cake and ice cream with his granddaughter here next weekend. And, you know, you should have that built in robustness to, to do that. Whereas, you know, if you think you're, you know, it's like I say, you look at both sides of the spectrum, you got the keto camp, which anything that's got a teaspoon of sugar in it is all of a sudden feared and poisonous and all that. And then you have the high carb camp, that people can't survive more than two hours without a snack uh, or they bonk. And so, and, and it's like, no, no folks, 
this isn't about these camps and diets. This is about you and empowering yourself with you to get on your journey, your metabolic journey to that, to find, you know, higher health and peak performance and get to your potential. So thanks again, Tim, for having you. It's an honor not just to have you on this podcast, but to have you participating. And, you know, we're already working with John Float, helping him. I mean, he's, he dug himself a pretty big hole too. And we're going to, we're going to get him out of that hole. Um, yep. And, you know, hopefully some people will watch this and, and like you say, they'll be healthy, uh, relatively healthy, but they don't, they don't realize that they need to do more. Yep. And they get, I they plan need, on going up and I plan on going up and visiting John and I'm going to ride all the way up to his house in just under a hundred miles each way. And, you know, that's a, a very doable thing where I live. Yeah, double century day. Nah, big, no big deal. Uh, nah, I, I won't do it all in one day because we're losing light. And I tell you what, there's some crazies out there on the road, especially after oh, dark. Oh, God, yeah. No, no, but no just, kidding. But all no, right. I'll go up there and spend the day talking to him and everything and yeah. then ride back the next day. All right, man. Well, thanks yep. again for taking the time with us. And we'll be we'll be continuing this journey together and hopefully helping a lot of people out yep and thanks for having me